Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to a special five-part podcast series sponsored jointly by Conversant and StoneTurn entitled The 2020 Update to the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs Impact on Compliance Programs, a conversation with Conversant and StoneTurn. In this five-part series, we consider conducting investigations and ensuring consistent outcomes, internal reporting, establishing quantifiable metrics to measure and monitor the effectiveness of your compliance program, corporate culture, and evaluation of compliance programs. And now a word about our two sponsors. With the recent update to the Department of Justice Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, it's time to reassess your compliance program. Click the link in this episode's liner notes for Conversant's interactive self-assessment and find out exactly how you stack up against the 2020 update. When you complete the assessment, you'll have a complete scorecard showing exactly where you can improve in the eyes of the Department of Justice. All from Conversant, all at no charge. Stone Turn. Since 2004, council corporations and government agencies have turned to global advisory firm Stone Turn when facing their greatest challenges. Make Stone Turn the first place you turn for advice on regulatory, risk and compliance issues, investigations, and business disputes. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I have with me Michelle Edwards. She's a partner at Stone Turn. She is going to help us understand how you can utilize metrics in a best practices compliance program, not only continually monitor, but more importantly, continually improve your compliance program. Michelle, uh, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome and thank you taking the time to visit with me today. Oh, sure, Tom. Thanks for having me. Michelle, as you know, in the 2020 update to the evaluation of corporate compliance programs, the Department of Justice uh, not only continued to emphasize the importance of monitoring and testing the effectiveness of a compliance program, but it spoke more about a chief compliance officer and a compliance professional utilizing data. So I was wondering with that background, what are some of the specific areas that you feel a company should be or should consider in establishing quantifiable metrics to monitor for effectiveness? Sure, Tom. I'd love to expand more on that. Um, you know, the DOJ for some time now has, in their their revisions to their guidance, uh, stressed the importance of leveraging data uh, in order to have objective evidence around whether or not a company's compliance program is working effectively. And so uh, from my perspective, the first thing that companies need to do is to establish quantifiable metrics to measure and monitor the effectiveness of their compliance programs. Uh, I would do this by essentially creating an inventory of metrics, uh, looking at the DOJ guidance and taking it section by section to understand where there might be opportunities uh, for a company to begin defining these metrics and assessing the data sources that they are going to need in order to be able to measure uh, these key metrics, and then ultimately developing a process to regularly report on their progress uh, of the effectiveness and their assessment of the effectiveness of the compliance program to key stakeholders such as uh, board of management or audit committee. From my review of the of the DOJ guidance, there's a number of areas that are, are great opportunities where companies can begin to establish those metrics. And I'll walk through a few of those um, 
a few of those ideas now. Uh, there's there's the section, of course, uh, that the DOJ uh, discusses around the third party management uh, aspect of a company's compliance program. And so as the DOJ communicates its guidance around uh, aspects of a third party management program that are critical for a a, an effective compliance program, there's many metrics that a company can consider as they think about the processes they have in place in order to assess the relationships with their third parties. So Tom, as you know, a lot of companies oftentimes have a due diligence process that they employ when they uh, commence a relationship or consider commencing a relationship with a new vendor or third party. And they'll go through uh, some sort of due diligence or, or a risk assessment process uh, to assess whether or not it makes sense to conduct business with these third parties. And so at the beginning, but also throughout the course of uh, the relationship with these third parties, it's so critical that companies are uh, undergoing this process to refresh the, uh, the assessment of how those relationships are going and if there's been any compliance issues or potential issues related to misconduct with those third parties. And so one of the ways the company can measure the effectiveness of that process that they undertake is essentially to assess how many third parties were actually suspended or terminated or audited for compliance issues throughout the course of the, the vendor relationship. And so having um, a quantifiable metric where the company can periodically report as a result of its due diligence and ongoing diligence procedures related to its relationships that can report to key stakeholders, indeed, how many of those relationships are being suspended or terminated where potential misconduct or risk has been identified. Another way to look at this is also in conjunction with uh, mergers and acquisitions, and that's another critical area of the DOJ guidance. So when it comes to merger and acquisition due diligence, very similar process um, oftentimes, companies before entering into a merger or acquisition with a company will undertake a similar due diligence process where they're looking at the, uh, the consultants, the distributors, the joint venture partners, uh, and other vendors that uh, this particular acquisition target uh, has relationships with. And they're assessing those relationships and doing due diligence on them uh, in order to identify potential risk. Uh, so, very similarly, a company can also look at the number of third parties that um, for which the relationships under an acquisition target were reevaluated under the acquirer's new standards and policies. And that would be another metric to apply very similarly to the one we just spoke about related to third party management. Michelle, one of the things that uh, I should probably raise is uh, I believe you're a CPA by professional background. That's correct. And I am not. I'm a lawyer by professional background. And uh, many lawyers struggle with not only how to understand data, data analytics, how to create uh, an inventory and how to use that inventory. And it sounds like to me what you're advocating is simply take the information that you have at your fingertips literally already and use that as a metric and start and build out from there. Would that be a fair assessment of what you've just described? Yeah, I think that's fair, Tom. You know, I'm a, I am a, a CPA and I'm an auditor by background. And so I'm very process oriented and very structured. And so if it were me, I would methodically review the, the guidance from the DOJ 
and identify all these different areas where my company could potentially establish and quantify metrics to uh, assess effectiveness. And I would monitor those throughout time. You know, Tom, really, when we think about what companies have done in the past, most companies have only dipped their toe in the water uh, related to this process. And so, you know, for example, some companies are doing a fine job of measuring and reporting, I'll call it metrics on the basics. And so as an example, uh, many companies obviously have in place processes whereby their employees have to uh, review the code of conduct and, and confirm they're in compliance with it, either when they first onboard with the company and then periodically on an annual basis. Companies are just fine, doing just fine at reporting what those code of, con code of conduct confirmation completion rates are. They're also doing a pretty good job of reporting when their employees are completing certain required training courses. Uh, sometimes companies are actually doing an adequate job also of, of measuring and reporting the uh, timeliness where um, investigations are taking place related to allegations of misconduct in the whistleblower system. But in my experience working with a lot of companies, uh, that's about it. That's really where companies have focused their attention and quantified metrics. And there's so many more opportunities and areas within the DOJ guidance where companies can apply a similar methodology to quantify these metrics and monitor the effectiveness over time, which would tell a great story to the Department of Justice or another party if there were ever to be misconduct that happened in an investigation that happened at the company. I'm also fascinated by your process-oriented approach, and it almost sounded like you could start with some very basic metrics, but using those literally as a building block or foundation, then you could become more sophisticated or or perhaps take a deeper dive into, into deeper metrics, which would give you a uh, more robust picture. So if I could take what you laid out with third parties, then you could move to third parties who have uh, taken FCPA training, third parties who have annually certified to that. Then you could, be, from there, even take a look at the quality of the training they've received. Uh, but it, it sounds like this process approach really lends itself to building out an additional inventory of metrics. That's right, Tom. I, I would completely agree with that. It's, um, you know, it's just the first step where a company can begin to, to establish those metrics. And over time, I think companies will find that they have more data at their fingertips that they can use to measure the effectiveness and get a little bit more sophisticated building out these metrics that are really going to provide a great lens into that effectiveness and enhancements that the company makes to their compliance program over time. So two of the other areas focused on in the 2020 update were the continued need for risk assessment and actually uh, risk assessments at perhaps a cadence of greater than every two years, every three years, or even every one year. And then using that information you receive from your risk assessment and the metrics that you put in place to engage in continuous monitoring, but as I said, more importantly, continuous improvement. It also seems to me that you could use this information to loop back into your compliance program. But if I could use one of my favorite phrases, document, 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 it gives you an audit trail to show regulators, this is the data we had. This is the decision we made based upon the data. And this is how we executed that decision. Is that critical for an audit perspective? Absolutely, Tom. I think the DOJ guidance you know, stresses two areas or continues to stress two areas that um, are, are absolutely critical for an effective compliance program. You touched on 
the risk assessment process and leveraging data, uh, collecting data and assessing a company's risk, uh, continually refreshing that, and, and really looking at that risk assessment and that forms essentially the platform for a company then to understand, well, what would be those indicators that would tell me that I might have a problem and that this risk is, is something that I need to better detect or control. And so, you know, methodically going through your risk assessment, you've got a lot of great information there. Companies can really take a step back and assess what indicators uh, should be monitored for um, either transaction monitoring or uh, through other mechanisms in order to understand how to manage and control those risks. And that transaction monitoring piece is so critical with respect to that continuous improvement, periodic testing and review process that the DOJ also talks about. Transaction monitoring within itself is a, it's a tough area. A lot of companies struggle in understanding what type of indicators they should be monitoring over time and how to leverage uh, groups like internal audit or compliance to do that on a more ongoing basis. Kind of similar to the concept I talked about before, some of those companies are just starting out with the basics. They're, they're monitoring the rudimentary uh, payroll or kind of time and expense uh, transaction activity, and they're, they're identifying potential red flags and where things might be out of compliance with policies or indicative of misconduct. They really need to spend a lot more time in this area um, whereby they're becoming more mature at identifying indicators of potential fraudulent activity throughout the various processes across an organization, such as in that robust procurement to pay cycle, where a lot of opportunities for potential fraud and corruption and bribery exist. So could you maybe go at it a different way by looking at the, uh, I would say P2P, you've just called it procure to pay, but, or even a sales cycle where you'd look at each step in, in that cycle, P2P or quote to cash, and you see what data is available and then look at that data as part to create an inventory of metrics? That's right, Tom. You're almost you're, you're almost taking your risk assessment in one hand and understanding what would be an indicator of potential fraudulent activity. And then uh, on your other hand, you're saying, what data do I have available at the company through these systems and these key processes in order to create an inventory of transaction monitoring routines that can be conducted on a regular basis to identify that suspicious activity. And you really have to look at that not as a one-to-one -one relationship, but you have to, to be most effective, um, combine a set of red flags that would indicate there's a compliance issue or potential fraud so that there, there aren't an unmanageable amount of false positives that come out of that process. And that's a, that's a process that most companies need a lot of help um, really refining that in order to come up with the most effective and efficient way to conduct transaction monitoring to get the bang for their buck. Michelle, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on any of the topics they've discussed. Where could they go? Sure, Tom. Uh, they can come visit us at stoneturn.com. Well, Michelle, uh, thanks very much, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Great. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode in the Stone Turn and Conversant podcast series on 2020 update to the evaluation of corporate compliance programs impact on compliance programs. I hope you'll join us again for another episode. Please check out the show notes where you can find information on 
Conversant's self-assessment based on the 2020 updates. Also, Conversant's Converge 20 is now open for registration. And I would urge you to take a look at the agenda. It's going to be a fabulous 10. This episode of the Conversant Stone Turn podcast series has been a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network.